Glad you're here. Glad we get to celebrate our Lord because that's why we're here. If you haven't been here in a while or if you're new, I hope you'll come in and and engage with God because that's what I've been praying for all week, that he would show up, be here. We would get to enjoy his presence and learn from his spirit and grow in his word. You know, last Saturday there was a young man that came. I'm not sure exactly what his name was or who he was. I think he was with one of the ladies that did the moo lodging. We were doing the active shooter response drill training for all of Isle of Wight County. And we had the fire department here and the police and the sheriff and, and uh, two, two helicopters. And, you know, I didn't fly out this time. Uh, Art did. I was trying to get him closer to God. And uh, I'm not sure who this young man was, but um, he was here to pretend to be one of the victims like several of us were. We had about 25 or 30 that were uh, dressed up as if we were wounded, and then they came in and saved us. Um, my wound was not nearly as serious this time. But um, I, I saw this young man and, and what, what amazed me or what caught my attention was he, he had this chest wound, right center of his chest. And, and right below the wound was life is good. <laughs> and it, it got my attention and I got to thinking, you know, Life can be good, and most of the time it is, but sometimes it's tough. Sometimes life is difficult, it's frustrating, sometimes it just stinks. But life is many things. Uh, I've heard it said all my life that life is what you make of it, and, and that's certainly true. Uh, it, it, it's certainly a matter of perspective on how you look at life. A lot of things about life I don't know, but this one thing I do know, and I, I want to bring it to your attention, I'm, I'm certain about this. What I know is that this is not all there is to life. This is not all there is. There's a whole lot more living to be lived after our time on earth is spent. Um, this is not all the life that you get to live. I've said many times at funerals that the physical death and, and grave are the end of no man. And they're not. Your, your, your body does die, but your soul lives on into eternity. In fact, every human being that's ever lived on the face of this earth will one day uh, go through a resurrection and they will live in eternity. And, and if I've read my Bible right, and, and, and you correct me if I haven't, there's only two destinations after this life, and that is heaven and that is hell. Some will make it into heaven, but far, far more will, will not, and they'll wind up in hell. That, that's a fact that we all need to consider. Amen? It really is. So two thoughts I want to put in your mind right to begin with as we start this message. First of all, you need to make the most of the life God's given you. You need to make the most of this earthly life. Um, do your best to reach your full God-given potential. Make good choices. Make good choices. Young people, 
Make good choices. Good choices have blessings. Bad choices have consequences. So, so make good choices. And, and not only do we need to make the most of this life, but we need to prepare for eternity. Prepare for eternity. We don't think about that. I, I heard a, a pastor yesterday preaching. He said, you know, uh, religion, in, in, the way I heard him preach the sermon was, he wasn't really preaching about the coming of the Lord and, and, the, and the second return and life in heaven. He was preaching about the here and now and this wealth, wealth name it and claim it religion, you know. The very best chance that you and I have of being successful in living and making the most of this life and making it into heaven is to have Jesus help us. You, you need Jesus to help you make the most of the earthly life that you've been given. You need his blessings. You need the Lord's blessings. And you can greatly benefit from this life by having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better person for you to know. I've known a lot of interesting people through my life, but the, the, the best person I've ever come to know is Jesus. Uh, but there's so much more about knowing Jesus than just here. Please understand that. Paul writes, if we have hope in Christ only for this life, we're the most miserable people in the world. If, if you want to know Jesus just for what he can do for you here, you're a miserable person. There's so much more to living than just what we get to experience in this earthly existence. And a lot of times we want to know Jesus because we want a better life. But friends, knowing Jesus doesn't guarantee you the good life. In fact, Jesus said, when the world hates you, remember it hated me before it hated you. Guys, when you stand up for Jesus and you live for Jesus, the world's not going to look at you in the best light. In fact, the world may even hate you. But Jesus is always going to love you. Don't forget that. He will always love you. He, he will always be there for you. He wants to be your best friend. And he can make life on earth better for you. He can and he will. We're talking about the abundant life and the abundant life is not stuff. It's a relationship with Jesus. You also need Jesus to help you prepare for eternity. You need to be thinking about what's coming because you, and you need his help because you need divine intervention to get there. The reason is because every one of us sin and sin leaves us separated from God. We don't think about that. Sin in your life before knowing Christ separates you from God. I, I say this all the time. You and God start out like this. But we sin. And according to the word of God, sin separates us from God. I asked a little kid the other day. I said, are you, are you like this with God? Or are you like this with God? And he said, well, I'm not that bad. I said, well, are you, you like this or you like this? He said, well, I'm more like this. I said, well, what's the difference? You either are like this with God or you're separated from God. Some of you are living separated from God. In Isaiah 59, it says, listen, the Lord is not too weak to save you. 
and he's not becoming deaf. He can hear you when you call, but there is a problem, not a physical problem, but a spiritual problem. And we oftentimes look more at the physical than we do the spiritual, but your spiritual need is far greater than your physical need. He says the problem is your sin has cut you off from God, cut you off, separated you from God. And that's where the majority of humanity is living. He goes on to say, because of your sin, he has turned away. God has turned away. I hear hear people all the time say, but I pray. Well, but if God is, if you're separated from God, he doesn't hear your prayers. In fact, he says, he doesn't listen to you anymore. I want you to know that that's one of the most critical verses in the entire Bible. And if you miss that verse, your chances of getting to heaven is pretty slim. So pay attention. We're all sinners that at some point get separated from God. We all sin. Amen? Kind of owe me, right? And because we sin, that's our greatest problem. Well, here's the good news. The good news is once you get that way, God can fix that problem. That's great news. You ought to be shouting. Amen, praise the Lord. He can fix that problem. It's a divine intervention that you need. We know from scripture that Jesus conquered sin. He he beat death. I don't know if anybody else has beat death. Sooner or later, it gets you. He won victory over the grave. And on the cross, Jesus paid in full your sin debt. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said it this way. I am the one who lives. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death and to the place of the dead. He says, I am God, and therefore I'm in charge. If you need help, talk to me. (laughs) Folks, Jesus saves sinners who put their trust in him. That means that he saves us from the eternal consequences of all the sin that we've ever committed. Praise God, Jesus saves us from eternal death. Think about that. What is eternal death? That is life without God in a place called hell. He gives to all who accept him the precious gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness and eternal life. Folks, the the gift of eternal life is just what it says it is. It's eternal. It's not salvation on a yo-yo. He doesn't give it to you and then the minute you sin, snatch it back. That's not the way God operates. Salvation is life with God that never, ever, ever, ever ends. So friends, you don't need to get saved again and again and again and again. Are you hearing me? You you only have to be saved one time. But you have to truly be saved. You don't need a good dose of religion. What you need is to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you do that by inviting him into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. 
It's, it's, it's serious business when you do that. If you've ever truly been saved, then you will always be saved. So pastor, how long is eternal life? <laughs> Forever. If you read your New Testament, you'll find that over 60 times in the New Testament, the, the concept of life with God that never ends is talked about. And, and, and we hear the words eternal life, life everlasting. So let, let me say it again. Let, let me just simplify it for you. W without Jesus, you're eternally separated from God because of the sin you've committed. Without Jesus. But with Jesus, you have eternal life that never, ever ends. Which are you? Where are you at? That is a plan, and it's God's plan, to save as many lost people as he possibly could, those who turn to him and trust his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. That's God's plan. That's what this is all about. That, that's why we sing about the, the birth of a Savior coming at Christmas. That was God's plan to save lost sinners. That's why he came. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, when I think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan. Now, God's plan, again, is to rescue lost sinners. He said, I fall to my knees and, and I pray to the Father. I pray to the Father. What, what was he praying for? What, what do we need to pray for? We need to pray for ourselves. I said that last time, last week. We need to first pray for ourselves. Because until we're right with God, we can't, we can't do anything to help other people spiritually. We need to pray for ourselves. We also need to pray for lost sinners. He said, when I think of God's plan, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, that he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. That's that sticking power. That's the power and the strength that we need to be able to do the things that God's called us to do. He said, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. When you invite Jesus to live in your hearts, he comes to dwell in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. That means he makes your soul his permanent home. And that is why and, and how he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Friends, he can't leave you. He can't forsake you. It's not in God's divine character to break his promise. His word is absolutely true. God doesn't lie. Praise God he doesn't lie. He tells us the truth and we need the truth because the truth sets us free. I want you to notice what else Paul goes on to pray about for you. He goes on in the latter part of verse 17 to say, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love and, and, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love really is. 
May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Then, if you get to that point, then he says, you will be filled with the fullness of life. The fullness of life. That is life with God that's far better than the American dream. And you will have the power that comes from God. Dr. Charles Stanley said it this way. He says, the deeper you take root in your relationship with the Lord, increasing your intimacy with him and steadfastly obeying his call, the greater access you have to his eternal nature and boundless resources, which are what makes your life truly impactful. Wow. You can't get too close to the Lord. The psalmist said, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Now just, just think of the contrast. Plant a tree in the desert and what happens to it? It's going to die. Plant a tree by a river and what happens? It's going to flourish. It's going to grow. It's going to bear fruit. And that's what he's saying here. The man who delights in the Lord and meditates on his word day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Folks, that's the person I want to be. And that's who God wants you to be. There is certainly great benefit in having Christ living in you. And there's so much greater. He, there, there, there's no greater resource of satisfaction and security than in the Lord. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in thir chapter 13, verse 5, stay away from the love of money. Did you hear that? Stay away from the love of money. Why? Because that... It's not the money that's bad. It's your insatiable desire for it. It'll fail you. I have a friend. I mentioned Daryl the other day in, in my message. He's one of the guys that had storm damage. He's not, that's not the only storm he's had in his life. A few years ago, the company that he was working for went bankrupt, and all of his retirement that he had worked for so many years was lost overnight. Everything he was looking forward to, to existing after retirement is gone. It can fail you. But God says, I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. Praise God for the divine promise of his eternal presence. In Romans chapter 8 verse 9, Paul writes, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. He says, and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them are not Christians at all. Since Christ lives within you, and he's writing to the church here, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. There are two beautiful promises here in these verses. 
that I think we need to pay attention to. The first is that when you take Christ Jesus to live in your heart, he redeems your soul for God through the work of the Holy Spirit. He redeems you. Remember, sin separates you. But the work of the Spirit is to redeem you, to buy you back for God. He makes things right between you and God. You're living like this in sin, and Jesus brings you back to God. And when that happens, you're no longer an enemy of God. You become a child of God. Something else I see is that when you have Christ living in you, he promises you that there will be a future resurrection of your mortal body. Praise God. I'm looking forward to exchanging this one. Somebody asked me if I shot a deer this week, and I said, no. I had all my stuff laid out, and I woke up, and I hurt too bad to go. You know, just afraid to climb a tree. That's not me. I think I was born in a tree. I'm just, you know. Pastor Ronnie Bowers said this about the Lord and his work. He said, believers, when the Holy Spirit inhabits us, he regenerates the human spirit. He makes us a new person on the inside. He makes us right with God, but he changes everything about us on the inside. He does a heart transplant. And he will also one day clothe our earthly bodies with eternal life. There's going to be a transformation. So friends, God promises to meet all of our needs both here and in eternity. And he promises to meet our needs in eternity and here through his son Jesus Christ. Folks, God will never run out of the blessings that you need. Never run out of the blessings that you need. I was talking to my sister right after the storm, just about maybe four or five days, and she said, you know, most of the stores have been damaged or, and they're closed, and, but there's a few that are open. The only problem is, of those that are open, they're having a hard time keeping stuff on the shelf because there's so many people coming looking for things. I mean, things that are necessities of life, water and food, water and food, water and food. It was gone, and thank God there were a lot of volunteers that brought water and food in there. In fact, you, you, you could drive around and just see stacks of water, free water, free ice, free food. I'm still amazed that for about four weeks after the storm, Southern Baptists fed over 200, or excuse me, 750,000 meals. 750,000 meals from Tallahassee to Apalachicola. Pretty amazing. God never runs out of what you need. He has an unlimited supply. We don't always know what we need, but God does, and I'm glad he does. Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the, the world and all its people belong to him. Belong to him. In our world, there are a variety of different philosophies and thoughts that teach us different things about who really owns what. Communism says that the government owns everything. Capitalism says, no, the individual owns everything. Socialism teaches that 
what you have really belongs to everybody, so it needs to be equally distributed. But the scriptures teach us, and it always will, that everything belongs to God. My question is, what do you believe? What do you believe? The direction of our country depends on what you believe. Through the psalmist, God says, for all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Every bird of the mountains and all the animals of the field belong to me. He said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't, I'd not mention that to you. For all the world is mine and everything in it. God's pretty independent. He says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord Almighty. Well, if that is true, you see, I, I said that, if that is true, and I believe it is, by the way, then economics is certainly a spiritual issue, is it not? Economics. People don't like to talk about politics and they don't like to talk about money. Economics is a spiritual issue. That, that's why I called it last week biblical economics. I introduced you to a principle found in scripture, a divine biblical principle, the principle of economics, which simply states everything you have came from God and it still belongs to God. Everything you have, everything you can put your hands on belongs to God. It always has, always will. That being true, think about this. God also sets the rules for poverty and for wealth. He sets the rules. I'm going to read for you in just a minute some words from a young lady's prayer, Hannah's prayer. A prayer of praise that she prayed to God giving thanks for his provision and goodness to her and her family. Now, if you don't remember Hannah, she was a young lady in the Old Testament that was unable to give birth to a child. She was unable to conceive. Her, bear, her womb was barren. And she prayed for what she could not have and did not have. She prayed for a son. And God answered her prayer, and he gave her exactly what she prayed for, and he gave her the desires of her heart. And, and in that prayer, she in return gives God praise and glory for his provision. And she did it because in her need and through her faith, she personally learned about the divine supply of God. It wasn't just something she read about. It was something she experienced. This is her prayer, part of it. In verse six, she says, the Lord brings both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises up others. The Lord makes one poor and another rich. He brings one down and lifts another up. He lifts the poor from the dust. Yes, from a pile of ashes. He treats them like princes. Placing them in the seat of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's and he has set the world in order. 
Now guys, you're not going to hear that on the 6 o'clock news. Not going to read about it on Twitter or Facebook. The stock market's not going to report that news to you. But if God owns everything, and again, I think he does, I believe that, then the subject of economics is not secular in nature, it is spiritual. It always has been, and it always will be. Just like the Israelites in God's economy, everything that we have is rooted in the goodness of God. You cannot correctly discuss economics on any level, whether it's personal or national, without considering God's perspective first. First. Not after you spend everything and have a little left over. You think about it first because it belongs to God. Dr. Tony Evans said God is the starting and ending point for all economic discussion and discovering his kingdom agenda for our resources is critical to our growth both individually and as a nation. He said it is only when we properly align our thoughts with God's thoughts on the matter of finances and stewardship that we will then receive his hand of blessing upon what we do. He says our hearts must truly reflect his heart on this matter if we are to live as kingdom stewards and if our nation is going to rebound from its economic malaise. Powerful words. So are the words that Paul wrote in his letter to Timothy when he said, teach these truths, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. He said some false teachers may deny these things, but these are the sound, wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are the foundation of a godly life. And anyone who teaches anything different is both conceited and ignorant. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy and fighting and slander and evil suspicion. These people are always causing trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they don't tell the truth. To them, religion is just a way to get rich. To get rich. And he says in verse six, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. I want us to focus on verse 6 for a minute, if you don't mind. And I want to focus on that middle word, the word contentment. And I want to challenge you with this thought. How content are you? Do you live your life with contentment? What will it take to make you content with what you have? Kai Bowman said, for most of us, our days are filled with ordinary moments like getting the kids ready for school. <laughs> ordinary moments. <laughs> you got to catch them first. And waiting in traffic to and from work. I thank God I have a short drive to work. I don't have to go through a tunnel to get here. Amen? Some of you are going, oh me. <laughs> you never know when that thing's going to be plugged up. 
He goes on to say the little time that we steal for rest can be quickly forgotten in the nervous pace of our daily lives. But are we content? Are we? Or is there a restlessness for something more just below the surface? It's been said that if you sum up the dreams of this world, you can do it in one phrase, and that phrase is, give me more. Give me more. I read that just this week. Give me more. John Wesley once said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. But that's not the way the world lives today. It's not what the world teaches today. In fact, the world teaches you just the opposite. The world says, get all you can, can all you get, set on your can and poison the rest. <laughs> I'm just saying. But here's the truth. The desire you have for more will never bring you contentment. Never, ever, ever. Why? Because you'll always want just one more. It's kind of like Lay's potato chips. You can't eat just one. You got to have another one. I have to have one and Izzy has to have one. I've gotten her down to I eat five and she eats one. But I can't forget her because she's laying there like. <laughs> Verse 6 says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. The English word for godliness comes from two Greek words. The first word is you. It means good. You find it used in an English word we sometimes speak called eulogy. The word eulogy literally means saying a good thing about someone at their funeral. The second part of the word is the Greek word sepas. We get the English name Sebastian from this word and it means to worship. So when you combine the two together, the word godliness carries the idea of good worship. Well, folks, true contentment is found in godliness, which from a practical standpoint means a good worshiper. And God promises the good worshiper a contentment that you can actually call gain, getting ahead, moving forward. In other words, godly contentment is a way forward. It is profitable for you. It is the way to acquire spiritual wealth. And that is the best kind of wealth for you to seek after in your life. Spiritual wealth. Things that will last on into eternity. So when you feel restless, wanting more, I encourage you to take time to content yourself in worshiping the one true and living God and receive God's richest reward. Why? Because this is what Paul wrote Timothy and said, after all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into this world and we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. So if you have enough food 
and clothing, let us be content. Let us be content. I'm pretty sure that everybody in this room has heard the name John D. Rockefeller. He is known to have been the most wealthy human being in America, John D. Rockefeller. I am told that when he died, someone asked his personal accountant, well, what did old John D. leave behind? And his accountant said, all of it. All of it. Folks, right now is the very best time for us to realize that you can't take any of your material possessions with you when you die. You can't take it with you into eternity. You're going to leave it. Somebody behind you is going to enjoy it. They're going to spend it. They're going to go through it like water. You need to make the most of it while you have it can't take it with you. If you don't believe me, you can go to my dentist office. I don't have any of these at home, but I read National Geographic when I go and I sit in the dentist office. In fact, I don't read them because I usually don't take my glasses and the print's too small, so I sit there and look at the pictures. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm at, don't you? <laughs> Some of you need glasses as well. If, if, you, if you don't read, you can look at the pictures and you can learn. You can learn from what it teaches you in there. I, I've learned that when you die, you don't get to take your stuffed pets with you. Where you're going, you don't get to take them with you. You don't even get to take that red convertible. Or if you're a redneck, your Chevy pickup truck. You don't get to take that kind of stuff with you when you die. You don't get to take your expensive jewelry. You don't get to take your fine clothing. Not a single antique that you have in your house can you carry with you into eternity. You don't get to take the gold and silver that you have in the safe. You get to take nothing with you. There's only one thing you can take to heaven when you go. And that is the soul that you lead to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing you get to take. My question is, will you be taking anything into heaven with you? You can and you should because other people need Jesus as well. Paul said we didn't bring anything with us when we came into this world and we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. I read some things the other day by Pastor Tim Sizemore and one of the things he says is that most of us don't try to load up our graves with things to take to the afterlife like the ancient Egyptians did. But we do often load up our lives as if this were eternity, as if this was all there is to living. And we try to find contentment in earthly uh, comforts rather than in the will of the Lord. There are just way too many Christians that are trying to live that way. 
We're trying to store up treasures in this earthly life. We're trying to get stuff. What's your goal? What do you want to be known for? What should it be? As I was reading about Tim Sizemore the other day, I learned that he was a second generation, he is a second generation pastor. He serves Lighthouse Baptist Church in Macon, Georgia. How far is that from you, Missy? Not too far. Your dad probably knows this guy. Tim Sizemore's father has pastored for more than 40 years. God bless him. 40 years. And, and, and as I read, I found out that he has no plans to ever retire. In fact, he lives his life for eternity. What does that mean? It means he's content with the little that he has because he's storing up treasure for his ultimate destination. He doesn't ever plan to quit working for the Lord. He's content with his calling. He's content with his food, he's content with his clothing, he's content with the future that he has in the Lord. Why? Because he's a man working toward eternity. How about you? What are you content with? As I thought about that the other day, the words of Jesus came to my mind, and I read this for you as I close this message. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths or get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. But store your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty or where they will be safe from thieves. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart And your thoughts will be also. I said to you a moment ago that the only thing that you will ever be able to take with you into heaven is the soul that you help bring to Christ. That's spiritual economics. That's the most important thing we can invest in. And we begin that investment by praying for the lost. By building relationships with the lost. By giving of your time and your talent and your treasure to reach lost people. We built this building to reach lost people. Oh, we're here to disciple the saved, and we should. But the end product of discipling the saved is seeing more people saved. It's about kingdom growth, spiritual, biblical, economics. I wonder today, who do you need to pray for that's lost? You know, we, we meet so many people during Thanksgiving and Christmas. This is the season for building relationships. You're going to meet more people. You're going to come across more people. You're going to talk to more people in this month than any other time of the year. Who do you know 
that's lost. Mama, daddy, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, neighbor, your boss, your person that you sit by at work. Who can God use you to impact for Christ? Well, Pastor, where does that begin? It begins today. It begins by praying for that person. I think you need to go back even beyond that. I think you need to pray for yourself first. Why? Because we need strength. We need the boldness to say just the name Jesus. We sing it in songs. But when was the last time you used Jesus' name in a conversation in a good way? Am I getting through to you? If you don't speak his name, people are not going to know about him. If you know him, you should want to tell others about him. And you have opportunities to do that. So here, here's my invitation to you today. I, I, I pray that God is putting a name on your mind right now. Embedding someone's name in your mind so that it can make its way to your heart. And as I've said many times before, if you'll pray for that person and invite that person to come to church, if you don't feel comfortable and have the ability to, to lead that person to Jesus Christ, you bring them to me. You bring them to church. And we'll see to it that they hear the story of Jesus. And they get an opportunity to be saved. But you can have a part in that. You know people that I'll never get to talk to. We're a team. We work together as we build the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's begin by praying for those kind of people today. Will you join me in that? Maybe you need to come during this invitation time and, and, and pray at the altar for a friend or a family member. Maybe you need to come and recommit your life to what really matters for God and, and join God in his biblical economy. Maybe you need to get saved today. I don't know. But I'm here to help you whatever you need to do because I'm going to point you to Jesus and Jesus can meet any need you got. Let's pray together. Father, your word is clear, it's truthful, it's timeless. It points us to eternity. It also points us to Jesus because Jesus is our future. If we have a future, it's because of Jesus. Lord, thank you for what you've done in this life and, and all the things that we get to enjoy. But thank you for even more for what's yet to come. Lord, I can't even begin to imagine what heaven's going to be like, but I don't want to miss the boat. I want to be there with you. I, I want to see everyone in this room join around your throne to sing praises and honor and glory to you. I want us to be a family in heaven, but for that to happen, we have to become family here, and we do that by faith in you, O oh Lord. Please help us to trust you and help us to share you because there are many, many people in this world while they think they have a lot to be thankful for. Lord, many of them haven't even come to know you yet.
You're the most important thing in life. Help us to know you, Lord Jesus, I pray. In your precious name, amen, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord as we have this time of invitation. But let's also respond to God and do what God would have us to do to prepare ourselves to impact our world for Christ.